Hello and welcome to another edition of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. I'm your host, Rob Hunt, joined as always by Larry Mishkin of Michigan Law out in Chicago, Illinois. Really excited for a fun show today because once in a while we deviate from our regular format and we step into uh, other realms uh, outside of just the Grateful Dead or even, you know, Garcia Band. And we've been threatening it for a while and today we're going to celebrate 10 years of J-Rad. So uh, let's kick it off with one opening clip uh, before we say hello to Larry. is Help on the Way. That one's from March 16th, 2018 from the Palace Theater in Albany, New York. I'm just a huge fan of J-Rad, Larry. And I think as far as all the guys have, you know, been dead cover bands, I don't think energy-wise anyone's even close. And I, I know that we can debate, you know, whether or not Phil and Friends is a cover band or whether Dead & Co. is a cover band. But, you know, for my money, for a long time, the mantle was always, you know, sort of given to, uh, to Dark Star Orchestra. But then J-Rad came around in 2013, January 26, 2013. They played their first show at the Brooklyn Bowl. Now it's 10 years of sporadic shows. You know, they play anywhere from 3 to 20 a year. But what do you think? I know, I'm pretty sure you're a big fan as well. I am a big fan, and it's hard not to be. They play so well. They're so into their craft, and they are all jam band musicians. And, and they've, you know, without... I don't want this, this, this isn't, you know, supposed to be a competition with, with Dead & Co. or anything. You know, Bobby plays the tunes he wrote and the tunes that his band played the way he wants to play them, and God bless. And, you know, I, I certainly recognize that as, you know, mus- musicians age and, and, and move along in their careers, it's, it's their songs, and I don't, you know, begrudge anybody playing the music they want to play. But these guys are, you know, relatively speaking, young and fresh to some degree, and, and they, but more than that, they cover the Grateful Dead without trying to cover the Grateful Dead. They bring such a unique sound. When, when you're playing that clip, you know right away it's not the Grateful Dead, you know? So even if you weren't a J-Rad fan, you know, you might eventually be able to, to narrow your way down to them. But it, for me, it's becoming more and more of a distinctive sound, having seen a couple of their shows here a few months ago. Uh, I'm really excited about them. I agree. If, if I had a choice right now, uh, other than seeing Phil and Friends with the Quintet at the uh, Cap Theater, uh, I would probably very likely pick J-Rad. And, and I think that the comparison to Dark Star is interesting in the sense that they are both cover bands, meaning that their primary musical selections are Grateful Dead. I think that Dark Star, and, and they're tremendous musicians, and, and we're big fans of those guys too, but they're, they're playing a show, right? Their set list is already predetermined for them. For them, it's just a question of how well they can recreate that, and they happen to do an exceptional job. You know, J-Rad comes in and just plays. Okay, we're going to play this song. We're going to play that song, and and the first thing you realize is they're not playing them anywhere near the order or 
points in the show that the Grateful Dead would have necessarily played any of these songs. And then they add some amazing covers this last time around. They played, they covered Pink Floyd, they covered the band, they covered everybody. It was just incredible. Bruce Springsteen, um, I was just really, really impressed with the, with the depth of their musical talent. And I think a lot of it has to do with Joe Russo, right? I mean, how many other bands are there just period uh, after, uh, you know, Phil Collins in Genesis where the drummer is front and center, right? And he, the whole band revolves around him. He's, he's the band leader and he does such an amazing job back there that I, I'm just blown away. Yeah, and you think about who these musicians are. I mean, you mentioned Joe Russo already and we should probably give, uh, you know, shout out to everyone else in the band. You know, Russo is probably best known for playing with Marco Benevento and the Benevento-Russo duo. Uh, they got national acclaim when they started playing with uh, with Trey and Mike when they briefly had Grab, which was, you know, Gordon, Russo, uh, Anastasio, Benevento, which was, you know, originally the Super Jam at Bonnery one year that then went out and did, you know, did a tour after sort of like, you know, Oysterhead being the, the last, you know, Trey collaboration that started off at Bonnery that became huge. But, you know, Grab definitely hit it pretty hard. So that means that those guys learned how to play with the members of Fish a lot. You know, we've got Scott Metzger, who's played with absolutely everyone playing uh, playing guitar. He's played with John Mary, he's played with O'Teal, he's played with, uh, with Schofield, I think. Like, he's all over the place. And then you've got, you know, who I think right now is probably the hottest guitar player on the jam band scene in, in, um, in Tom Hamilton, who, you know, was uh, playing with Brothers Past and then uh, formed American Babies. Uh, is played in lots of iterations of other Grateful Dead things, including the Jerry Garcia birthday band. Uh, and now, you know, is full-time with, uh, with J-Rad as well. And then finally, who's the, uh, who am I missing there? Um, Dave Drywitz? Yeah, Dave Drywitz from Ween. You know, like, I mean, if you want to talk about a great bass player, and there's a couple, a couple of clips we'll listen to today where you watch him, you know, on bass, where, you're, like, it just comes through. The guy is such a fire bass player. But you put that team together, I mean, like, yeah, Joe Russo's the catalyst, but this band together, I mean, they're they're exceptional, and uh, and they're all such great musicians in their own right, and they've all played with great success in other uh, in other outfits. So in, in many ways, when I look at, it, I always think of J. Rod as kind of being like a jam band supergroup already. Yeah, I, I think they are. I, w- I was lucky enough to catch that Benevento Russo duo show, uh, then coming out and playing with Train Mike afterwards, and uh, that was my first exposure to either one of them. And then when I saw J. Rod at Sometimes I'm a little slow in the uptick, and it took me a few minutes to rec- realize that this was the same Joe Russo I had seen before. But once my good buddy Alex set me straight, I was all ready to go. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure I've told the story before, right? But the, I, they played the 11 like nobody's ever played the 11. And to me, when, when you're a band and you can cover the, the 11 and do it well, I'm, I'm, I'm in. Yeah, they actually uh, played the 11 the first time they ever played. I almost put a clip of that on there today, but... Going through trying to trying to plan the show today, I listened to probably like twelve hours of J Rad music, and finding which clips I wanted to put on is so difficult because there's so many times like, there's there's periods like when we're gonna hear a violin at the end. I had to change like what part of the violin I wanted to uh, play on the show probably three different times because every time I was like, oh, that's the clip I want. I'd hear something else. I'm like, ah, that's even better, you know. I'm like, ah, that's even better. You know, so from that same show, the first day they ever played, that January 26th from, uh, from uh, 2013 at the Brooklyn Bowl, they came out just, you know, screaming. So I almost put the, uh, the 11 on there and instead I put the Lee, which we'll listen to at the end of the show. Um, but it is, it's hard to pick because, like, uh, there's so many technical things that they do that they do with such high energy that I go, like, in many ways for me, J-Rad is kind of like, 
you know, where, where you transition from the Grateful Dead to fish because fish had like higher energy jams, like with like antelopes and down with diseases and like, you know, um, and, and, uh, uh, divided skies, like in the early days, you're like, wow, like these jams are just that much more energy than the Grateful Dead had. And that's kind of like what the appeal was. J-Rod is like taking that energy, but putting it into Grateful Dead songs where like, you know, there's no way you can't look at going like, why did the dead ever do it like this? You know, and, and they will still rip off like very specific riffs that the Grateful Dead did. And then, you know, apply their own sort of magic to it. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll play another, um, another clip right now and you'll actually hear what I'm talking about. If you listen to the Fire on the Mountain that we're about to, to play here in a second and you uh, are familiar with 10-14-94, which to me is the hottest fire of, of the 1990s, there's a, uh, a specific riff that Garcia put in both in the transition from the Scarlet to the Fire and then he put it in again after the third verse. That's a very, very like, identifiable riff. Uh, that you know, you hear uh, Tom Hamilton play the exact same one before he all of a sudden just explodes into a into a totally different theme. So let's take a listen to that. That is uh, a, a wonderful clip, and and you do identify with it. And that, yeah, that's certainly one of the things I like about these guys, and uh, and Tom Hamilton and, and what he brings to the table, and and all of them. And and you know when, when he, that's so distinctively Jerry. The you know the whatever you want to bop bop bop. He 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 somehow recreates that sound on his guitar, and I, and when I hear them, when I hear other people do it, it makes me realize when you listen to the dead enough, you almost lose the sense of that and it just it sounds like music but when you hear somebody else do it it's so distinctive and yeah these guys are talented enough to pull it off yeah and, and to weave in and out I mean obviously the end part of, the, of that clip is the very distinctive like natural um, peak of fire but but he weaves it in with that the build up from 10 14 94 which again this is the only time I can ever think of the Grateful Dead playing that sort of like where they play the scales building up before like Garcia just explodes in that fire. Um, but instead of actually hitting that peak, Hamilton segues it right back into um, to like just the, the theme of fire, like the, the, the classic theme, which is like so creative. And for me, like, you know, like it, it keeps this stuff so fresh for me because like I'm so used to already knowing what, what, what I know about the Grateful Dead without thinking about, you know, variations on that theme because there's no one else to, to provide that variation. I mean, you can say like, all right, John Mayer is doing it or Warren did it. Or, you know, there's some other folks that have certainly given it a shot. Kate Lasik, of course, and like Kim Ock. You know, there's lots of people that have actually given it a shot. But usually within the same same parameters of, you know, kind of how the Grateful Dead were imagining it. Whereas I think that with, uh, with Metzger and, and Hamilton, those guys are just like, all right, let, let's completely destroy the rule book and, and start fresh and just like play it how we want to play it and just add like, segues that never existed before or, or, you know, changes of time signatures that never existed before. And again, we'll have another example of that, you know, coming up here as well. But it, it's what fascinates me about uh, listening to these guys because every time I think, okay, here's the predictable part of what they're going to do, and they just completely, like, just right turn it, which is amazing. 
So, you know, look, uh, since we all know that, uh, and we, we may, we'll talk about Dead & Co in a few minutes and playing in the sand, their last one, right? They're almost done. So it seems to me the next great Grateful Dead parlor game is going to be what's going to be the next official conglomeration that they all come together in or some of them come together in uh, after Dead & Co. So that begs the question of what if you get the core four back and you drop Metzger and Hamilton in with them? That would be amazing, right? I mean, the, the possibilities are just scary good. Yeah, I mean, for, for sure. But, I mean, you, you look at, you know, what, what Dead & Co. is doing, again, we, we should segue in there because they just uh, wrapped up playing in the sand. They definitely did some unique things. You know, they had uh, Wynonna come out and play with them on Ramble on Rose, and they had, uh, you know, Jay Lane and, and, um, and, and Wally Ingram come out and, you know, play with them. And Jay seems to be kind of like, you know, everyone's talking on Twitter is like the official um, you know, sort of surrogate. Like, he, he's the stand-in, ready to go at all times, you know, like uh, almost the understudy of... All right, Billy. We're not sure if you're if you're going to make it through these shows, so let's just make sure that Jay is you know ready, willing, and able, and standing on side stage, just to jump in and pick up some sticks and go. But uh, you know, so there's definitely some cool creative things. But and this is no disrespect to, to the original members of the Grateful Dead because like I, I love them to death. But at their age, you know, can can they play with the same ferocity that Joe Russo can? And I don't think they can. You know, as drummers, I don't, I don't think that. Uh, I don't think that John Mayer, as, a, as a, one of the best blues musicians of all time, can step in and, and you know rip licks like uh, like Metzger and Hamilton do. Uh, Benevento, like you know, like look, Clemente's an amazing, amazing keyboard player, but but Marco, like you know, like I, I look at him the same way I look at like a Medeski, you know, of, of of being able to like get in there and put like a, a different like jazz and theme and funk and fusion like in, into his playing, that uh, which is what you know if you ever saw Benevento Russo duo two people that are putting out so much music just with like two guys on stage and you're like, holy shit, how do these guys like, you know, put that much music into two instruments? And then you add, then you add in, you know, uh, Jirets and, 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 uh, and the guitar players. And I'm so fired up about this right now. And again, it's obviously coming through in my, in my enthusiasm because after listening to like as much like J-Raz I have in the last couple of days and after listening as much Grateful does I have to prepare for these shows, you know, previously, it was sort of like, Holy shit! There's just like there's that much like um, uh, enthusiasm coming through, and like I've not heard you know uh, another uh, Grateful Dead iteration or Grateful Dead cover band or whatever you want to call it. So to your point, even if even if the core four were to get together and say, "Hey, let's play some shows," with these guys like I don't know if it'd be better than what they're doing right now. Right. I really don't. Right. That's a fair. Although I will say that when Phil plays with his variety of groups up at the Capitol Theater or wherever else they wind up going, Phil seems to hang in there pretty damn well. For sure. But I think of all the instruments to do it, the bass is probably the easiest one to do it with, right? You know, like, he's, he's not playing lead there. He's playing, he's holding down the bottom and he's doing an amazing job of it. But if you were to say to Phil, like, you know, like, let's let's play a, a, a really long extended lead, I, I'm not sure, I mean, Look, the guy's almost 82 years old. I can't say a, a negative thing, you know, or he is, is 82 years old. He's about to be 83 yeah. in March, I believe. In, uh, yeah, March 15th. So I don't think there's another close to 83-year-old bass player out there that's still, you know, playing as many shows and doing, you know, three weekend runs like he did at the Cap last year. So no disrespect to, uh, to, to any of you know, the band members, but... What I'll say is that Phil with Phil and Friends, you know, part of the reason that they produce such amazing music is is just one of the original members surrounded by a bunch of high energy guys. Uh, it's a difference when you got four of the core members surrounded by a couple of younger guys like O'Teal and Jeff and uh, and um, and John. That's true. 
So, so what did you hear about playing in the sand? Yeah, you know, I've certainly gotten some reports, and I heard it was pretty damn fun. I've seen some really cool clips. I've seen a, I saw a DJ set that was a, a remix of like Fire on the Mountain or of Deal actually, uh, whereas the crowd going full tilt like they're in a nightclub, uh, you know, with like EDM style beats behind Deal it was really cool. Look, you know they're always going to go do cool stuff down there. I, I've never known anybody who went down there and didn't have a good time. It, Except for some of the unfortunate souls who got down there last year and then got slammed when the shows got canceled. But right, otherwise, it's a it's a great time. My good buddy Mitch from St. Louis was down there and he was sending me regular reports and just raving about it. Our good friend Bob Hoban, who's going to join us in a few weeks, is down there. He was getting backstage. He said he talked to Jay Lane. He said the man's the guy's a wild man. Um, so I'm sure he'll have some interesting stories to tell us. And it, it just all sounded great. Jay Blakesburg did more of his presentations, and they were very, very well received by everybody. And I love the fact that on one of the days, they just had a, they had a goose show, basically, right? The boys took off a day. Goose played a, a, a full show, two sets and an encore. And Bobby came out and played the end of the first set with them. And I thought that was fun, you know, that he was out there jamming with those guys. And talk about a high-energy band. I mean, those guys really crank. Yeah. And doing... Um yoga with them and doing like workouts with them there's all sorts of videos that are posted that uh of, of, like rick like training and throwing medicine balls with bobby to, to fish yeah to fish songs yeah 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 which was great uh so it's so funny i mean those guys are doing um pilates they're they're doing all sorts of different stuff but i mean like what i'll say is we're still in freaking great shape man oh yeah if you actually watch those videos like he's hanging right there he's doing you know he's, he's doing all sorts of stretching and then there's like yoga and meditation like how cool like I mean, just like again as a fan of music, when the, the Goose guys are, are top of their game right now, how cool for them to be like, I just spent a weekend hanging out in Mexico, like training, you know, Bob Weir and getting to play with him, where it's got to be for them just like a kick when they look back in 10 years and go, you know, like when, when Bob may no longer be with us, and they go, man, we had that weekend, and he was in his mid-70s, and he's hanging out, working out with us on the beach before playing and playing in the sand. Uh, it's, it's like, it's, it, it, there's got to be certain things, like when, when I get to, you know, ski with people that I've always considered to be like, you know, the, the, the pioneers of the ski community, you know, whether when I was younger, whether it was like with like Alf Engen or Junior Banus or like Pepe Stiegler or, you know, like Klaus Obermeier, guys that like invented sort of the game of American skiing. There's like certain reverence that you have for, you know, what they've done to pave the way for, for the next generation. And you got to think that like, you know, when Rick and those guys are hanging out with Bob, that they're sort of like internally sort of giddy or like, you know, you watch... You watch the Australian Open and, and see, like, you know, a young guy, like, uh, beat Rafa Nadal. Like, there's got to be something in that guy's career that he goes, holy shit, I just beat Rafa. You know, like, just like, but at the same time, still having so much reference for, uh, for, for you know, the people that came before him and allowed him to, like, get his game so good because without Rafa, that guy would never be at that level, right? You know, so it's... Well, that's, that's like those young defensive backs who intercept a Tom Brady pass and then run up to him after the game and say, Mr. Brady, would you please autograph this football for me, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 Like, I picked off Brady, right? Like, there's certain things in, in your career that, like, even if you don't want to celebrate it at the time, internally you're still thinking, like, like what an absolute, like, joy and honor this is to be able to be uh, in this situation. I've got to think that's how the Goose guys were playing in the sand this past weekend. I, I believe, you know, Rick must be pinching himself, right? And my, my son pointed out, though, he thought it was really funny. He goes, if you notice, Bobby's completely decked out in full workout gear, and it looks like Rick just threw on a T-shirt, a pair of shorts, and Converse. You know, he's like, he probably wasn't ready, planning on working out. They must have grabbed him and said, come on, man, get in there and work. But either way, you know, they, they had the, the synchronized moves down and everything. 
thing on the on the machines and with the medicine ball and God love Bobby man he's out there he's he's doing it hard he's not just you know taking it easy and surf couch couch surfing he's out there you know ready, really ready to go out and, and put out the effort and got to appreciate that so, so I'll go out on a limb here and say for all the people out there that are still like on the fence about goose and or you know there's certainly a legion of haters of goose at a certain point you've got to ask yourself like okay Am I wrong? Because Weir certainly likes him. Trey certainly likes him. You know, you start looking at the other musicians that are now asking to play with these guys, and uh, you you don't get to that level like of of respect from other like you know senior statesmen without being very good at your craft. So you know, you can say I don't like their music. Like I'm not a big fan of the Disco Biscuits, but I certainly respect you know Mark Brownstein's abilities. You know, I certainly respect Aaron Magner's abilities. So it's, it might not be for me, but I can't say they're not amazing musicians, right? Uh, you know, Goose, you know, I, I've got to say at this point, like, you can't take anything away from these guys based on who's offering um, offering co-bills with them. Look, this is, you know, it, like we've talked about this. It's it's fun to, to not just be on the ground floor of something like this, but for a band to be good enough that, you know, you don't, you don't even just have to stumble into them, right? Word gets out right away. Goose, goose, goose. It, it's a lot of pressure, I think. You know, so many people are like, okay, fine, I'll go see this buddy of mine, Mitch, who's down at Playing in the Sand. I had been talking up Goose, and he's down there, and he went to see a Goose concert, and he wrote me back. He goes, now I'm coming up to Chicago to see him this summer. You know, and but that's wonderful. That's how you build up those kind of bases. And, you know, for those of us that are a little bit older and, you know, more locked in our ways, let me tell you, you see Bob Weir walk out on stage with a band, that band's cool for me. I'll go see them anywhere now, right? I mean, if, if, if they're cool enough for Bobby to spend a few minutes playing with them, I'm all in. And and you know what? It is. I, the, the, I come away from these shows and you hear them and it, it, it's just, it is great energy and it's so much fun. And And of course, for me, the best part about it is it's almost like a hidden secret, right? I mean, it, it, it's only that my sense is that it's, it's the real deadheads and of the younger generation, the kids who would be the real deadheads, you know, who are going to see these shows, right? Because they can still get away with playing in the Riviera Theater in Chicago. You know, they don't have to go play in the United Center or at Soldier Field. And to get to see a band like this, to get to see these kind of musicians, you know, in that type of a setting is tremendous, just tremendous, you know, and, and it makes you wonder sometimes why, um, and Goose is still young, but even like a band like J-Rad, I, I can't believe that the same people who really weren't quite deadheads but went out to see the Grateful Dead wouldn't just as much enjoy going to see J-Rad if they walked into the room with them as well. You know, I mean, the, these guys, they're, they're, they're truly a, a, a natural continuation of the Grateful Dead with that energy, that spirit. Yeah, it's just very impressive what they do. And can you, And maybe it's just a factor that, like you said, they, they really don't play that many shows a year, you know, in, in this in this format. And, and if they did, if they had a regular, you know, full touring schedule, they might develop a much larger following. So speaking of J-Rad, maybe we should go back in before we start talking about some uh, cannabis industry news and maybe listen to one more uh, J-Rad clip. This next one is coming to you from um, March 25th, 2016 from the Brooklyn Bowl. Uh, it's the Franklin's Tower, which is another example of what I struggled to find the right clip to play because the entire song was so hot. So, uh, you know, I, I gave you sort of the classic listen to the music play jam, but uh, the jam between the second and third verse is just as good. So I, I recommend anyone uh, go back and listen to this because uh, the entire um, Franklin's is just insane.
picked that one specifically because, as I said, you know, Marco Benevento can't be overlooked, and his keyboard playing in that is just incredible. And then you put the horns behind it and have like the horn section like supporting a Franklin's. It's so unique, and if you, as I said, so many different parts of that song. I just kept listening. It's like this: this jam is a is a Metzger jam. This jam is a Benevento jam. This jam is a is a Hamilton jam. And they just trade off and trade off and trade off throughout that Franklin's of just who's going to take the lead. But the uh, the combination of the uh, the keys and the horns was just too compelling not to uh, to put on for today. Yep, I agree. No, this is fun. It, it's it's uh, it's exciting to listen to their interpretations of the songs. What a unique sound. You know, we just can keep saying it over and over, but it really is. Something else I think that we're going to start saying over and over before too long is we just found out, we just talked last week, was it, or the week before, about uh, Oregon voting to, to uh, allow interstate commerce. And now we've got Washington diving in and saying that they're going to do it too. Yeah, Oregon, California, and apparently New Jersey has has a similar proposal on file. It just hasn't been considered yet. If one state does it, you know, it's a voice in the wind. You get four states that do it, you know, and for the most part, leading cannabis states. New Jersey's a bit of an outlier, but that's okay because that gives it the, the movement some East Coast representation, which is very important. And, uh, you know, we talked about this last week. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens. You know, the federal government's obviously in no hurry to do anything about this, but if all of a sudden the federal government wasn't very excited about allowing medical marijuana or adult use marijuana, but by the time you started getting four, five, six, ten states doing it, and now you know we're up to 30 plus who have one form of a program or another, the federal government just can't really push back the same way. So I'm I'm very excited to see now, and, and maybe I'm the one who's being naive, but I'm going to be very excited to see whether, you know, as more states will more states, you know, make this in essence a meaningless gesture. Right? It doesn't mean. In fact, this bill itself says that it doesn't kick in at all unless and until. Well, that's uh, what I was going to bring up. Is you know, so when we talked about it in terms of Oregon last week, which I believe was a lawsuit that was filed to to you know ask for the ability to uh, to deal with interstate commerce. This one's actually um, you know done through the state house uh, in Washington. Where it was passed on a um, on a voice vote to actually get to a full floor vote, but it, it's in in many ways just um, largely lip service to the idea, simply because it requires federal legalization to happen before it even becomes um, uh, applicable. But you know what they're signaling is okay. Well, if there is a change to federal legalization, we don't want to be scrambling at that point to try to figure out whether or not we're going to allow for like an interstate compact to be developed. It's let's be prepared now. Federal in our minds, federal legalization is inevitable. And if it is inevitable, then we should actually take steps now to prepare ourselves so that we are the first ones to be able to start exporting our cannabis when that happens. So, you know, is it cart before the horse? Sure. But is it, you know, pragmatic sort of forward thinking? Uh, very likely as well. I, I think I think they've got a few more years to deal with this than, than you know, they think. But it does signal that a, a very progressive state with cannabis policy being Washington, you know, the first state actually to legalize adult use by a matter of a couple hours before Colorado did in 2012. Uh, they're now looking to the next step, which is, you know, we legalize medicinally, we legalize adult use. Now we want to legalize, you know, shipping our product across state lines. And as soon as we're allowed to do that, we're going to. So, you know, symbolic maybe, but, uh, but step in the right direction. And hopefully it, it does encourage others to follow suit so that they can all collectively say to the feds, like, look, guys, like, we're ready to go. You know, you say the word, and, and this industry becomes what it should be, which is, you know, something that's not confined by the uh, the borders of our state. You know, it's the, it, it should be a, a, a product like any other product that moves freely between different vendors and different suppliers and different consumers. 
across state lines where ultimately, you know, you're, you're going to have some really unique brands that, you know, are small, let's say, in Oregon or Washington, but become household names because of, you know, markets like Chicago, New York. I mean, we can only hope that. And by the way, it only it only encourages the smaller, really uh, exceptional producers to survive and thrive here. You know, this isn't like giving the uh, the industry to the MSOs. This is let's let free market capitalism work. And if you're out there, Republicans listening to this shit, start thinking about it this way. You know, like, start start thinking about it, like if you really are for business, if you really are pro business, then pro business should encourage you know that uh, that the smaller guys have the opportunity to win because they're better than the other guys. I think that's right. And, you know, a, a couple of points of this bill, uh, you know, when I was perusing through it that came out and seemed interesting to me was the first is that products from out of state that are going to come into the state of Washington would be required to comply with Washington regulations, including those related to packaging and labeling. Now, I imagine, you know, if Illinois votes for it or California and, and Oregon, they're going to they're going to have a similar requirement, right? If you're going to send your packaging into our state, your products into our state, you need to comply with our requirements, even if we're more stringent than the state in which you're originating, which just leads to the inevitable question of who's going to become the Pennsylvania of marijuana, right? In the food industry, everything has to comply with Pennsylvania regulations. So that's why it always says Penna whatever on all these food products, because if you can show you've complied with Pennsylvania, then you've obviously complied with any other state. But, you know, that that's going to be interesting. What if uh, Washington says to Oregon, we're not going to let your stuff in, but we want to send our stuff to you. You know, it could promote uh, interstate trade wars as well. Uh, so it will be very interesting to see how that all plays out. But what I do like about that is that it, it, it may be what we need to start getting some sort of national standards in place uh, for a lot of these things. So you could promote interstate business, you don't have to worry on a state-by-state -state basis anymore uh, if, if this is good in Colorado, is it good in Missouri kind of thing. Um, the other thing that people have to understand about this, you know, it's like when they said, okay, we're going to have legalized marijuana in Illinois, and you say it's not legal. It's just creating exceptions to the law when you can use it. You can't walk down the street smoking a joint. You can't make sales to other people if you're not a licensed person. And here, that this law is limited to sales between state-licensed cannabis businesses. So Cultivation Center A in Washington can sell to Dispensary B in Oregon, assuming they're both properly licensed with their state. It does not say that a grower in California who is an unlicensed grower can ship their product across state lines. It does not say that a consumer can purchase products in California and take it across state lines. And really, that, that that's obviously a federal issue right now, but, but all of these states have their own. You don't need federal law. You're not allowed to transport marijuana from one state into another. By doing this, in essence, they're, they're, they're gonna open the door for that, so if we can get some sort of national consensus as to what will make everybody comfortable, I think that could be a really good thing as well. So we'll have to follow this and see uh, what happens. Obviously, uh, not so much until the federal government speaks on it, but at some point we don't want to forget that it's out there. Yeah, I think that uniform standardization uh, for labeling and packaging is, uh, again, inevitable. And I think that you know states will have to get together and say, okay, let's figure out best practices here. Largely, they're identical already with, with minor you know variations of of you know what's required to be on the labels and on the packages, you know whether or not you need a tamper seal, whether or not you need you know the uh, batch numbers. You know there's certain things that, that might have uh, variances between states, but for the most part it's it's pretty well standard. 
but uh, it, it still could get better. I mean, I, I can't imagine if, um, if you know, the, the cardboard box that you got, um, you know, your, your scotch bottle in had to be different for every state. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to, to require that. But I think for most cannabis products, you know, you're talking about, you know, everyone's ordering right now from the same, um, from the same shipping companies that uh, provide the cardboard or provide the blister packs or the oyster packs. So it shouldn't be too tough. I mean, everyone's getting the same, <clears throat> the same uh, 510 carts from China uh, shipped in to, to fill vape carts. So there's largely already standardization within the industry. Uh, and, and it's like, you know, if someone comes up with a better mousetrap, that usually makes its way across to other states very quickly. But, uh, but yeah, this, this will be an interesting one to follow. But it's not the only canvas news we, we've gotten this week. And there's a couple of uh, couple good legal ones that, uh, you know, I, I know you're always interested in, or I should say more scientific uh, ones you're always interested in, Larry. And one of them is that people in states with legal marijuana have lower rates of alcohol use disorder, uh, a, a recent federally funded study found. And the interesting one about this one, and I don't know if you read the whole article, is that they did it by researching uh, pairs of twins where one twin of the two lived in a state with adult use legal cannabis and the other twin lived in a state that didn't have it. So just like the very nature of, of getting this study off the ground, first it makes me wonder, who the hell are these researchers that come up with this shit? Like, you know, like, okay, like, let me apply for a grant to find 240 sets of twins in uh, differing states. One uses cannabis and one doesn't. Let's figure out how much booze and weed they smoke. Like, really? Like, someone's actually getting a grant written to them from the feds to, to, to do this study? Which, by the way, even when, when they finished the study, the, the, the deviation that they reported on is uh, 0.11 standard deviation on it. So it's showing very little in the way of, uh, of conclusive evidence. But the, the headline is nice that, you know, if you're, if you're in a state with adult use legal cannabis, then likely that state has lower rates of, uh, of alcohol use disorder. I don't think this is anything conclusive. But it sure is nice to say, okay, if we look into it further, we hope that what they're saying is is accurate, and it's nice to know it's a federally uh, funded, peer reviewed study that that gives this level of um, of uh, promising effect. Anyway, well, I agree, and I'm 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 one step ahead of that process, right? I, I've talked about going out to. Uh, uh, the normal legal conferences in, in Colorado and meeting Paul Armentano. And then we had Mason Taverta on our show. From the first time I went out to that conference, this is what they were saying. Alcohol is much more dangerous. Marijuana is much safer. Given the choice, people will smoke marijuana and not drink alcohol because they're smart enough to figure that out. And you try and go convince other people of this and they say, look, man, you can justify anything you want. If you want to keep smoking, keep smoking. And now we're at the point where studies are coming out. And, you know, they, they relied on studies, but now studies that are being federally funded and picking up in mainstream publications are coming out and they're saying the exact same thing. So we're moving in a direction that is not really that surprising to those of us that have been following this for a long time. And I think for, for folks that have, have, have typically... Um, scoffed at this notion, you know, I, I hope that they're open-minded enough to be able to see this and to realize that you have alcohol on one side, you have marijuana on the other. One kills you, the other one doesn't, right? And, and we don't really need much more than that, but if it, if, it, if it helps to show that, you know, if you come from a family that has an alcohol abuse problem, let's say, or you're predisposed to that, and you find yourself living in a state where you can buy marijuana, that may be your ticket to salvation. Yeah, look, I, I think if VS Strategies was smart, they'd make a t-shirt or a bumper sticker that's, you know, similar to the, the surfing sticker that said Eddie would go or the, the skiing sticker that says, you know, like Jamie would send it for, for Jamie Pierre um, that just says Mason was right. 
You know, they should have a picture of Mason. They should be slapping it everywhere on every dispensary. They should be slapping it on every every place that's, you know, cannabis related of just like paying homage to the fact that, that Mason 15 years ago was sitting in front of the Colorado Capitol in a, uh, in a lawn chair, challenging any person that walked by to a smoke off against a drink off and, you know, to prove to them that the cannabis is safer. Where people thought, who is this nutcase back then? Only to find out that 15 years later, that guy was spot on, just 100% spot on on everything he said and you know we give him the credit because we we you know sort of know the the history of our industry but when the average consumer 15 years from now has legalized cannabis in the united states and they've very likely have no idea who mason tavert is or you know what some of the other people that paved the way have done but mason should be one where you know every single person out there uh recognizes the contribution that he made to our industry by by making that challenge well, it's true. And, and, and I think if Mason were here, you know, what he might say is, hey, look, thank God there were people out there doing studies that we were able to go, you know, to look at and to lock onto to confirm what common sense would otherwise tell you. Where I give Mason and Paul and Steve Fox a lot of credit is these guys were willing to take those ideas that were out there, but you had to go look for them and make them mainstream. And they're the first ones who were willing to push back against uh, the you know the, the 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 common notion that well marijuana is one thing but it's got to be much worse than alcohol and it's much more dangerous and it's more devious and deviant and all this other stuff and and the fact that Mason was willing to to take that challenge on now again anybody who smoked marijuana and drinks alcohol can understand that it, it's not a shocking conclusion to find that out but how many of us are sitting outside offering to to to, to test that challenge against anybody who walks by and I give those guys tremendous credit for taking the time to find the information and then turning around and making it available to all of the rest of us. And, and I can't tell you how uh, satisfying and reaffirming it feels, you know, to see these results. And even if you're right, even if this study has, you know, more than a few holes in it in terms of its methodology and everything else, they could have just as easily come out with an, a preliminary opinion that, no, no, Mason's wrong, you know, alcohol's not as bad for you as marijuana, just because they might. And the fact that they're, they're going in this direction makes Mason certainly look very good. But, you know, hats off to whoever it is in government that's, that's finally letting this stuff go forward. As with the second story you found, Rob, and, and this one is great, too. Go ahead, introduce this one. Yeah. Well, and, and again, I want to give a shout out to our friends at Marijuana Moment as well, uh, you know, for, for putting all this stuff out there. You know, as much as we plug MJ Business Daily, Marijuana Moment should certainly get its, um, its notoriety as well. I think that... Uh, that uh, Tom Engel and, and, and Kyle Yeager have done an exceptional job over the last you know, 10 plus years of, of bringing great news stories to the forefront and having a, a really nice place to access all this news. So big shout out to the, uh, the whole team at Marijuana Moment for all you do for the industry and for the dissemination of, of oftentimes uh, much more substantive reporting than you get from any of the other um, uh, organizations out there. But this one is another one that you know, we love to report on, which is that young people, um, according to Gallup, are twice as likely to smoke cannabis than to uh, to smoke cigarettes. Now, this is not a, a in any way advocating for you know youth cannabis use, but it's more saying that uh, that you know as the young Americans uh, of their generation grow up, that over their lifetime they're they're much more likely to be cannabis users than cigarette smokers. And damn, does that make me happy? You know, as a as someone that smoked a lot of cigarettes when I was in my teens and back when my high school would still let you smoke right in front of the school, which I know like doesn't happen anywhere in the United States anymore. But, you know, I was, I was part of that crew of sitting there during my free periods or during lunch, just, you know, like 
smoking cigarette after cigarette and you know bumming smokes from friends during uh, during high school break. That's changing. Like I don't know any kids that smoke cigarettes anymore. I know very few adults that smoke cigarettes. And granted, I live in California, which is you know pretty healthy, but I think the uh, the appeal to smoking cigarettes in the United States is is very very low. When I'm in Europe, everyone still smokes. You know, Asia, everyone still smokes. But here, it's it's rare to see kids want to smoke. But cannabis use is something that you know not only is it biting away at alcohol, but it's really you know if if you feel the need to to smoke something, you know. Cigarettes, they don't do anything for you. You know, at least at least weed gets you high. You know, and there's a, there's a lot to be said for that. And, and and once again, you know, it's people don't like to hear it. They tune it out or they don't want to listen. We know that cigarettes cause lung cancer. That That's beyond established. But what we also know, at least up to this point, is there's no conclusive evidence that smoking marijuana does cause lung cancer. And there's been studies that have pushed back against it and suggested the THC might actually mitigate a risk of a tumor forming. Um, but but th- these are studies that are out there as well. So once again, as a parent, it's a very simple choice. Look, kids like to smoke. Now, admittedly, in our generation, when we were growing up, smoking was everywhere. So it was kind of hard not to see it and not to feel that smoking meant that you were an adult. And so that might be behavior you want to emulate. And it's true. You, you just don't see it anywhere anymore. We went to St. Louis when my kids were little in St. Louis. You could still smoke in the bars. And my kids were horrified. They couldn't believe that people were smoking cigarettes, you know, and for us, it was just such a part of growing up. We never thought about it. But look, if you if we say that kids at, at, at a certain age are going to experiment, we know that they do because they have for all of history. They experiment with alcohol and they experiment with smoking. It's cool. You walk around, you're smoking. And yes, I had the same experience for me in high school, although I was not a cigarette smoker. But we had a, we had a cigarette lounge outside where, you know, the kids would, if you were looking for a certain person, you'd know. You'd check the cigarette lounge and, you know, that's where you'd go and you'd search for them. And if you're telling me that I don't want marijuana around, but it's okay to have tobacco still being sold in stores, even though we've cut out all the advertising, we've cut out all the everything, I'm sure there's still plenty of cigarettes that get sold. These companies aren't going out of business. So if you're saying I would rather make tobacco more accessible to my child than marijuana more accessible, that's your choice as a parent. And I, you know, I can't tell you what to do, but you know, if you believe in numbers and scientific study, and I recognize some people in this country don't, but if you do, then it, it's really kind of a no brainer. And thank God this is bearing that out. Yeah. And I- Look, and then you and I both used to see concerts in small venues where cigarette smoking was, was there. And I can tell you that I love the fact that when I go see a show now, that if I come out smelling like any smoke, I smell like great weed smoke rather than, you know, smelling like a dirty ashtray. But I remember, like, you know, for a long time, there was a great venue in Providence, Rhode Island called The Living Room. And I used to see Fish play there as well as, like, Max Creek and Spin Doctors and, you know, Blues Traveler and whoever else was, you know, was around at the time. But, uh, but you know, this is tiny little venue that if you're on the floor in that place, they still allowed smoking. You just it reeked when you walked out of there. But uh, you know, at the same time, that was the price of getting to see fish in a room of uh, of 250 people. So you know, you you can't can't really complain, dude. You're you, maybe you're not old enough, but I'm old enough to remember when people smoked in movie theaters. Yeah, I, I mean, I was old enough to remember people smoking on airplanes. Yep. Yeah, like the, the, the whole the whole idea of a smoking section versus a non-smoking section on an airplane is laughable. The invisible wall. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, in this row, there's no smoke, huh? Like nothing, nothing wafts. But yeah, speaking of fish and speaking of J Rad, maybe we should get back into that because you know, as you said earlier, J Rad J Rad doesn't just play Grateful Dead music. You know, they also uh, they also do play some other bands' music and. I don't know if you had a chance to uh, to listen to this one, but it, at Red Rocks on eight thirty one seventeen, 
um, J-Rad seamlessly, somehow out of nowhere, um, through a, a Harry Hood jam, coming out of a front, coming out of a feel like a stranger before into a, it jumped into a China cat. And it is ridiculous that just out of nowhere they sort of pull this one out. And I wish, I wish I had the ability to play the clip where you could hear the last, you know, like 10 seconds of the stranger and the first 10 seconds of the China cat. But just the hood jam by itself is absolutely worth listening to. It's, it's crazy to me that, again, these guys, you know, Marco and, uh, and Joe spend enough time playing with Trey and Mike that it doesn't surprise me that they can pull this one off as well as they do. But uh, maybe we'll fire up a bit of that right now. It's so clean. It's so good. The same energy they bring to Grateful Dead music, they bring to everyone else's music as well. They do. And that that's the great thing about them. You know, I saw them play Born to Run, and I, you know, I've never seen anybody else play besides Bruce Springsteen, except maybe, you know, a cheesy cover band somewhere. But, you know, those guys played it like they owned it. They just, they, they have that ability. They have that confidence. And, you know, they bring the energy to back it up, and it's infectious. The crowd dives right in. It's, it's, it's hard not to go listen to these guys and not be, you know, immediately, you know, taken in by what they're doing. It's, it's, um, it, it is really talented. And, you know, I've, I've noticed a couple of times today, you know, when you've been introducing the clips, like, oh boy, you know, what a great clip, how hard it is, you know, this part, this part, this part. That's always the case, right? Anytime I sit down and I'm, and I'm playing, getting a show ready and I sit down and I'm, I find the part of the, the, the song that I think I'm gonna to wanna to use, but then I listen to the next 30 seconds and then the next 30 seconds and the next 30 seconds. And then you're like, I wanna to listen to all of this. How do I bridge it all in one minute? And short of getting Dan to come up with some clever editing tricks, it's impossible to do. Um, but I will tell you this because I, I totally get your, your sense of your excitement about putting together the show for J-Ren. It makes you wanna run out and see a show and any kind of music. But you know, for me, the thing that really makes me happy is when I'm putting, like last week's show, I still get that same excitement out of listening to a dead show, you know, finding a, a show I haven't seen, finding a, a musical a set, you know, a jam of five songs. It's like, oh my God, how am I gonna get everybody? This is, I went home and listened to that 1970s show three times last week. But, but you know what the difference is, Larry? When, when I do it for like, when I'm preparing it with just straight Grateful Dead, I expect the greatness, you know, like I, I already know what I'm getting myself into. Like I'm oftentimes picking things I'm already familiar with and I'm like, ah, it's a great you know, opportunity to showcase or feature this. But when like, when you're completely caught off guard because like you're not familiar with it and, and all of a sudden you hear something for the, the for me, a lot of the stuff that's like, I've listened to a lot of J-Rap, but I've never actually gone through to try to pick clips like, like I did today and, and finding stuff that you can actually put together for, for a show of stuff you're not familiar with where you just walk away like just completely re-energized and reinvigorated by the music of the Grateful Dead where it's not the stuff that like, you know, you're like, okay, 
I know what to expect from a 68 dead show. I know what to expect from a 73 dead show. I know what to expect from 77, you know, like of kind of like, even, even if you like, you're hearing different things you don't listen to as often, you kind of know like where that air is going to be and what the highlights are going to sound like based on, you know, where they are in their life cycle. With J-Rat, it's just completely and totally unexpected. And we could do the same thing with DSO. We could do the same thing with, with some other iterations. I mean, shit, the, uh, the lineup for, um, for Skull and Roses just got announced in Ventura, California at the end of April. And that entire uh, lineup, you know, you could pull, we, we could do a show just on, on the highlights of that show, just based on how many Grateful Dead related musicians are playing um, on that. So like, if you're in the West Coast out there, go check out the lineup of Skull and Roses because it's, it's sick. It's, you know, it's Phil and Friends. It's, uh, it, it's um, who else is on there? Jerry's Middle Finger. Yep. Some of the names of these bands are great. There's China Cats, Grateful Brass. And it's like people are getting really clever with uh, coming up with names. Melvin, Melvin Seals and JGB are playing. Um, Boombox, which is Donna Godshaw's son Zion's playing. Uh, Stu Allen, you know, the Big Steve is playing. You know, we've, we've got so many, you know, related to the Grateful Dead uh, musicians as well as just other, like, you know, terrific uh, iterations, including, I mean, you're, you're, I think you would rather see Phil and Friends in general than see uh, Dead & Co. So, you know, when you're anchored by Phil, it's hard to go wrong. But this, if anyone's been to Ventura County Fairgrounds, is one of the great venues in America. You walk out, you're on the beach, walk down the boardwalk and hang out and go surf in the afternoon and then go into the show. It, it's, I mean, I, I will definitely be there. Uh, my good buddy, Matty Veach from, uh, from Leftover Salmon will be uh, stage managing, I think, for, for part of this thing. So shout out to, to Matty. But it should be a, a terrific, you know, Grateful Dead-centric um, small festival uh, over three days at the end of April. I think so, and at the risk of having our producer look at me with a mean look again, I, I, my first Dead shows ever were there, so it's, it is a wonderful venue, and uh, I'm sure that anybody who goes is going to have a great time. And, and, you know, I'm just curious... I want to go hear the Electric Waste Band with Bill Walton, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any, any band that's going to have Bill Walton in there, that's 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 already good news for me. But right, look, you know, the Grateful Dead are gone, and, and and as wonderful as they are, and as much fun and excitement as I have listening to their concerts when I'm putting all this together, and and I do sometimes with all of this other stuff forget. It's easy to forget how exciting and how amazing some of those shows were. Even the shows we saw, you know, later in time, there's plenty of examples of them coming out and just blowing the doors off the place and bringing the energy and, and bringing everything that, that's good about it. But, you know, a lot of these bands, you just have an opportunity to hear it from other people. And look, anybody who's, you know, that dedicated to it, why not give them a chance, right? It's just, this is the music that we all know and love and some people interpret it better than others, but that sure seems like a fun place and a fun, uh, and a fun outing. Uh, you know, I, I can't say that I'm going to hop on a plane and fly out there and surprise you, but if Dan Humiston says he'll go, I will go too. <laughs> the gauntlet's been laid down. All right, Dan, uh, make this happen. Make this happen. So, uh, look, I, I, think, I think it's kind of an, an overarching theme to today's show is Look, there's still so much great music out there, and there's so much Grateful Dead, great Grateful Dead music out there, and there's so many musicians that are still carrying this torch. And, uh, you know, it, it gives me amazing amounts of hope that in 20 years, my kids will be, I mean, like, first of all, my kids already, you know, my son loves the Grateful Dead, but as he gets older and, you know, he's like, ah, I wish I got to see the dead, I can be like, don't worry about it, man, go see J-Rad or go see these guys. Like, you don't have to have been there for, you know, the, the first iteration. Like, look, I never saw Mozart, but I've certainly seen the New York Philharmonic play his music, and it's been probably as impactful as it was the day it was written, you know? So it, 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 you don't need to be there for the inception. You just need to be there to appreciate. And uh, and then there's just 
so much really cool music that's being created right now in the spirit of, of how it was originally intended, which is, you know, once, once we've played it, it's yours. And, you know, now we're passing on to the next generation. And once they play it, it's yours. Right. So it's, that's the, 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 the beautiful thing I think about the jam band community in general is, you know, it's, it's not like there, there is no, um, let's watch every royalty dollar. It's let's play the music. Let's let everyone appreciate the music and then you can have it. You know, we're done with it. Now it's yours. And, uh, and, and I think that no one, I think, is, uh, is embodying that spirit right now for Grateful Dead music better than, than Joe Russo's Almost Dead. So just, a, again, a huge shout out to all the musicians in that band and to uh, the, the genius of, of saying, hey, let's get together and let, let's, even though we all write our own songs, let's be a cover band a few times a year and let's just do it as best we can. And uh, the, I, I'm ready to go on J-Rad tour. I mean, I'll, I'll say it. <laughs> just a matter of when, right? When are they touring again? That's always the trick. Yeah. So uh, before I, I let Larry close out the uh, show and say and say his goodbyes, I'll I'll sign off and say the last thing that we're going to listen to today before uh, before we we tune out is from the first uh, J Rad show from the Brooklyn Bowl on January twenty sixth, two thousand thirteen. I, I think anyone that was at that show probably walked away going, "This is something that I hope they keep doing, and that this is absolutely special." Uh, it took me probably, you know, 15 songs or the entire show to go through, like what I actually wanted to play from, from this night, because the, uh, the whole thing is, is highlights I me. Mean, obviously they've just been rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing, getting ready for this. But ultimately I picked a clip from Viola Lee Blues because it is just, it, just so much, so much energy coming out of this. And again, I, I'd say, listen to, um, listen to the baseline in this one. I think that, um, that Dave Drives just does an incredible job in this Viola Lee. But uh, not much more for me to say outside of, you know, looking forward to next week's show. And this one was so much fun to put together for all of you out there. And uh, I look forward to, to hearing what Larry's got for us next week. Cool. Well, thank you. It's going to be a tough act to follow, Rob. This was a great show. Was, it, we, we have been teasing it for a while, and it's nice to finally dive in. You're the guy that bring it to us. And uh, very fun and exciting today. Uh, and actually, before, before I let you sign off, I will say that J-Rad's got some shows coming up, including their 10th anniversary shows at the Brooklyn Bowl. So if you're in New York City and then they follow that right up with some Capitol Theater shows, uh, if you've got a chance this coming week, go check them out. I don't know if there's still tickets available or if you can get them, but if you can, you know, like hopefully this inspires you to go see some live music. But, you know, those guys are playing um, from the 26th thing through the 29th all uh, in the New York um, metro area. So, sorry, now I'm really signing off. Wow, okay, well, that's good to know, except now I gotta go look at my calendar and figure out if there's any possibilities to do anything like that. Dan, you interested? We'll have to, we're gonna have to make this a touring, uh, a touring organization, right, if we're gonna follow up on our promises of, uh, of more live shows. But uh, otherwise, in the meantime, you'll get the good stuff that we put out every week, the good conversations, the great uh, marijuana news, and what's ever going on in the world of Grateful Dead and Jam Band music. Thanks again to Rob and Dan. Everybody have a great week. Be safe. Enjoy your cannabis responsibly.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked the Podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your canna confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked the Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.